Hello and welcome to The Word is Out, a mission-centric podcast featuring Dr. Alan Meenan, pastor and preacher and teacher of God's Word for over 40 years, and now the founder and faithful leader of a missions organization that reaches out to the world with the Word of God. Over the past three podcasts, we have been exploring just what inductive Bible study is and how it can help us illuminate the Word of God. Alan and Dr. David Bauer provided great insight on the topic, and we have taken time to define epistemology, or as Dr. William Abraham puts it, how we know what we know, and apply it to the scriptures. Today we want to get a good IBS overview of God's Word, or what some might call the canon of scripture. Alan, let's start with a little backstory on the canon and its significance. The canon simply refers to the entire 66 books of Old and New Testaments. Uh, It is the witness of the church down through the ages, and um, it it basically is comprised of of what we know today as the Bible. And uh, its significance? Well, these are the documents, the, the source documents of Christian faith. It is everything that we purport to understand about Christian theology and Christian understanding and Christian living all emerge from the canon. We are, we are focused and that becomes the center of our creed. It becomes the, uh, the, the, the rationale for everything that we do. Um, it informs us about who God is and how he has made himself known to humankind. You know, if the Bible um, really is the word of God, as we purport it to be as Christians, then obviously uh, understanding it is, uh, is the paramount uh, task of the church and to understand it aright. And so that understanding is understanding the canon, covering uh, literally thousands of years and uh, many, many different writers um, who comprise this book that we call the Bible. So the canon is a compilation uh, books. Who decided, uh, and without getting too deep mm. into the history, how was the canon decided and determined? I'm not sure that there was an actual... Well, there were certain councils of the church that decreed the books that would comprise the canon. The problem, though, is that these were not um, decided upon haphazardly. In fact, they kind of emerged within the witness of the church as to what books were those through which God was speaking. Also, when Jesus refers to books of the Old Testament, that seemed to validate the Old Testament canon. So basically, these these books emerged, and it was a council, basically, of the church that put its imprimatur on on the canon, rather than someone sitting and saying, this book is in and this book is out. These kind of emerged within the witness of the church, and the church simply said, this is what we find to be the witness of the ages. This is the witness of God to the world. This is the word of God um, to, to humankind. And it all holds together pretty well, I think. It does. Um, the, 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 the books are very disparate. Uh, they're different types, um, different genre of literature. You have poetry books, you have dramatic books, you have discourse, you have um, all kinds of teaching, um, didactic books. You have mystery books, uh, and yet, yes, they all fit together. So uh, from an IBS point of view, how do they interact? <sighs> Interesting question. You know, the, 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 the approach of IBS is basically to observe what is there 
And in observation, what we do is we, we attempt to understand the material that is being used, whether it's biographical, whether it's ge uh, geographical, whether it's um, whatever. Um, we also try to determine what kind of genre it is to best understand it, because poetry needs to be understood differently from uh, prose or from apocrypha. So IBS has to uh, deal with the kind of literature that is involved in any particular passage or book. Um, and to understand that in terms of, its, of the material that's there, the genre that is being used, um, because as I say, you know, each genre speaks differently. Um, and we've got to understand the particular kind of material that's, and the terms within the material and the structure that is being used by the writer to fully understand what is being communicated. You talk about all these various sort of writing styles. Why do you think uh, all these writing styles are integrated into one grand scheme, one, one big book? I mean, I think that it is the totality of God's word that we're talking about. Um, the canon is ultimately uh, the document of faith communicated over thousands of years telling the story of how, G how God has interacted with humankind, how he interacted in the latter days through Jesus Christ. Um, there are prophetic books there. Uh, there are books that point beyond the Bible. Uh, there are books that are purely historical in nature, both in Old and New Testaments. There are teaching based upon theology and, and, um, and practical application. Um, and so it, it, is, it is the entire corpus of, uh, of the Bible that, uh, that speaks home to uh, a particular generation, to, to the church of all ages. What, what, we're doing, what we do in, 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 in uh, inductive Bible study is basically we ask, when, when, we, when we look at a particular passage, we ask the question, what is here? And by asking what is here, we are observing genre, we're observing material, we're observing structure, we're observing terms, we're observing language, we're observing all of those things. But we ask the question, what is here? And when we determine what is here, then we, we talk about what is the meaning of what is here. Because very oftentimes when we approach, when people approach the Bible, we always ask, what's the meaning? Without previously asking, what is here? So not to insult anyone's intelligence, but you cannot really ask what is the meaning of what is here until you understand what is here. And you cannot understand what is here until you understand the kind of literature, the kind of material, the kind of genre that is being used to communicate the message. Okay, fair enough. Uh, on the last podcast, when we spoke to Dr. David Bauer, he talked about, and you've talked about, taking the holistic approach to the word. Uh, so looking at the canon, looking at the scriptures, what, is the, yeah. what, are we, what are we supposed to look at first? Well, I, I think what we have to look at is a particular book in its entirety. Um, and from the book, we extrapolate, you know, once we go through the process of asking what is here, what is the meaning of what is here, then we ask what's the value of what is here, and what is, how does one apply what is here to today, when that is done within a particular context, particular book, a particular message of a particular writer or redactor. Then we move to the, the question of how does what is here relate to the entire canon? Because if the canon is in fact the word of God, it, 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 
It cannot speak with forked tongue, so to speak. There needs to be some kind of unifying presence or unifying understanding of what the Bible is teaching. And we cannot do that without the canon. So basically, we move from observation through interpretation, evaluation, application, to ultimately correlation with the entire scriptures. So what, what we find in any particular passage, we want to relate it to, to the entire canon and the entire canon's understanding of a particular theology or a particular doctrine or a particular concept or a particular idea or a particular understanding of an event. And we do that by extrapolating from a particular book to the entire scripture. Okay, but if you look so at that's the... why that's why canon is significant. But you would look then first at what is the message behind the entire scripture, and then you would break out in each individual book. It sounds like you're no, saying no, yeah, 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 no, not not quite, not quite. Although what you're saying is really fascinating because um, scholars have debated for many, many, many years. Is there, is there an overarching message in the Bible? Is there what, what, they, what they like to call a center? Right. Does the Bible have a center? Um, and there's, there's, you know, there are people on every side of that issue. I, I personally do believe there is a center. I do believe there's an overarching message in the Bible. And I believe that message is, is the concept contained in the concept of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came into the world, you remember he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and I find it fascinating that no one ever stopped to ask him, what are you talking about? Hmm. Obviously, they all knew what he was talking about. Because the kingdom of God involves three things. It involves a, a king, obviously. It involves a people. And it involves a place. And if you take that concept from Genesis right through to Revelation, that permeates, it is ubiquitous through the entire canon. Um, it permeates every aspect because in, in Eden, you have the king is God, the people, Adam and Eve, the place is Eden. And after the sin of Israel, um, you have them cast into Egypt where the kingdom of God is eclipsed. You've got um, the king is now Pharaoh. People are Israel. The place is Egypt. And so the kingdom of God does not exist there. And so God brings out his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he brings them to a land of promise where he is once again their king. There is people and the place now is the promised land. And, and so, you know, that whole idea runs through. And then, of course, you have the Babylonian exile and the return and always this concept of striving to, to accomplish this idea of kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so when Christ came and said the kingdom of God is at hand, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the kingdom of God comprises, God is our king, we are his people, and the place is the human heart. And, and the prophets in the Old Testament bore witness to that. That one day, the day would come when, when, when the place where God would reside within the human heart. That, that, that finds its fulfillment outside the Old Testament into the New Testament, even though the Old Testament bears witness to it. And then, you know, it culminates at the book of Revelation where in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, you have the kingdom of God finally experienced. 
a return to Eden, if you want. So the entire Bible begins with Eden and ends with Eden. Hmm. It ends with a place where God reigns over his people in, in heaven. So that I would say that that concept, yes, binds the entire canon together. But we don't, you know, that is, that is really not our starting point. Our starting point is a particular book. And then when we've studied that book and we've studied another book, we relate the books to one another. We correlate our understanding of what one writer is saying with what another writer is saying. And so we build up a corpus of, of understanding, what we call biblical theology, and uh, understanding the witness of the entire canon. So the idea would be read each book and then um, relate them. So build on each book uh, as it relates to one exactly. another. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, the, often the approach uh, in theology is, um, uh, is a systematic approach. Um, you know, we start with, what is, what is, who is God? And we look through various passages to find out, you know, what, who, who and what God is, what is his nature, what is he like, etc., etc. And then we, what is, what is, uh, what is man? And, and we look through the scriptures and find out a doctrine of what is man and what is sin and what is salvation and what is sanctification and, and so on. And, and it's a systematic approach. What I'm suggesting in biblical theology is you don't start with, with, by asking those kind of questions. Now you finish up by asking those kind of questions. But you base it from one book to another book to another book as you correlate a picture of who God is and what sin is and what sanctification is begins to, uh, to emerge from different angles, from different perspectives, from different writers, so that we get a more comprehensive understanding of the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of sin, the nature of salvation, etc., etc. Much like a novel would unpack itself throughout the course of each chapter. Yeah, yes, and of course the, ca- the canon is more like a library than it is you know, one particular book. So it's, it's, it's made up of a library of different writers, um, different genres, um, different messages. Uh, and, and basically what we're doing is we're saying, but these, this library um, kind of holds together within this concept, of, and, and I would suggest within this concept of the kingdom of God. At its center. And, and therefore, you know, at its center, at its heart. Um, as I say, you know, the, this, this concept of the kingdom is ubiquitous through the entire scripture. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, in the historical books, it's very easy to see, but you also see it in the poetic books. Um, you see it in the, the, prof- the prophetic books as, re- as they relate to the historical books. You know, the Old Testament basically has got three major kinds of, uh, uh, of literature, if I might call them that. The, the first is historical books. There are... 17 books that are historical books. Um, you've got uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books so-called of Moses, um, which, which basically are history, beginning with, uh, with uh, Genesis and going uh, through the book of uh, Deuteronomy and the giving of the second law, and then continues on through, uh, through uh, Joshua and Judges and, and Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and so forth. And basically those books are, are history of Israel books. Um, and then you have the five poetic books, um, and then followed again by, 50, uh, by 17 um, prophetic books, uh, five major prophets and, and 12 minor prophets. Um, so 
basically they hold together, you know, to, to understand the prophetic books, you need to relate them to the historical books. Otherwise, the prophetic books become blessed little thoughts, <laughs> totally kind of disjointed, you know, one from another, you know, you just, you read through it and you don't know what to make of it. You have to understand the historical milieu out of which those prophetic utterances were, were made. And, and you, you can do that only as they relate to, so, to the historical books. So you, one needs to read the historical books and the prophetic books kind of together to, to really understand what the prophets are saying. And the poetic and books. And then in the New Testament, the poetic books basically are, are search, uh, search for meaning. I, I like to, to say that um, the writers basically, uh, the books are, are entirely different in that their genre, first of all, is, is different for the most part. Not, not entirely, but, but to, to, to a great extent. And therefore, one must understand poetry you know, as an appeal to the, to, the, to the heart as opposed to appeal to the mind. And the wisdom books, the uh, poetic, poetic, uh, poetic books, are, are an attempt to understand uh, various aspects of life. The meaning of life in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, the, the meaning of love in the Song of Solomon, uh, the meaning of uh, wisdom and, and intellect in, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the meaning of worship, the meaning of uh, understanding God in, in the Psalms, hmm. um, and, and, and such. Um, so they, they, are, they play a, a, a vital role in, in the canon, but, but their, their purpose is quite different uh, because you've got... Um, and Job, by the way, the problem of suffering, I, I, I ought not to, 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 to omit Job... So what is you know what is what is the meaning of suffering? What, why why is there suffering in the world? These are the kind of experiential questions that, that those books seek to ask, and and so they are basically while the historical books and the prophetic books are are an attempt to uh, to to understand um, how God interacts with man. The poetic books often are, are a cry to God to understand from a human perspective. What, what is life all about? What is love all about? Why, why is there suffering? Why, why is there pain? Um, uh, why do we bother worship? What is worship? What is the nature of worship? Mm. And, and so they, they complement each other. And that's why it makes the canon so wonderfully exciting. Um, and and, and in, indeed one sees an echo of, uh, and, and even the prophetic books, you know, often will relate to the historical books. There, there are particular settings that uh, David, for example, will cry, um, you know, he will confess his sin um, to God for what he's done against you and you only have I sinned, O oh God, and done this, this terrible thing. And, of course, it's a reference to the sin uh, with Bathsheba um, related in the historical books. So... You know, yes, they all kind of hang together in a beautiful, tangential, gracious way. Hmm. Makes the canon so very special. And then and the New Testament, by the way, yeah, I mean, the New Testament is uh, is equally uh, wonderful. Very different. You know, it's got its historical books are the are the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles, and um, the didactic books are the are the epistles, the letters, leading up to the uh, to the. Um, mysterious book of revelation and by the way there's also that book back in um, daniel is you know is the old testament's mystery book and ezekiel to some extent as well um it's all very exciting yeah no it's wonderful now should you be reading it in a particular order you talk about uh, basically looking at each book individually but do should they be read in the order that they are listed in the bible 
Not necessarily. Um, no, the beautiful thing is that uh, that each speaks its own message from its own heart. Um, so each 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 book has its own authenticity. Now, of course, when it comes to the poetic books, uh, they they do not read obviously do not read like a novel. They read like a poetry book. Um, and and each psalm may or may not have relationship to 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 each other. Um, so each psalm is taken as a kind of book in and of itself. You understand a psalm within the context of itself, and then as it relates to other psalms. Um, but uh, no, I, I you know I think um, you know it, it depends where one is in one's uh, pilgrimage uh, and how one you know there are people who are searching for meaning. Uh, those who are searching for meaning, I would say, you know, yeah, start with the, uh, have a look at, at the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, let me help you understand that book. Uh, it's an incredible book. There is no book on earth that deals with the question of the meaning of life like Ecclesiastes, and none that, that is comparable in its solution, in its understanding. And its understanding is, is not easily discerned at first. You know, it, it involves getting to the end of the book and then understanding the, the rest of the book from the perspective of the end, I, what I call reading backwards into the book. So, you know, if that's, if that's, your, if that's where a person is, or if one has just um, come to faith in Jesus Christ, then obviously the Gospels. Hmm. You want to get to know him as, as well as you possibly can. You want to find out everything you can about it. You know, it's kind of like when, when you're in high school, um, you know, and you, you fancy a particular girl in the class. And when it comes to the final yearbook, you know, whose picture are you going to look at? You know, who, who are you going to write? You know, I mean, you want to focus on, you want to get to know that, that girl or you want to find out as much as you can about her, what she does, who she is, you know, where she lives and so forth and so on. And it's the same kind of thing when you're in love, because Christian living is all about loving Jesus. So if you're in love, obviously you want to, discover as much as you can about Jesus himself and the way to do that you go to the gospels if if um, you're interested in history you want to go to history books if you want to understand the, how the church came into being you go to the Acts of the Apostles if you want to if you're curious about end times you know how, how, where we are in, in, in the course of, uh, of existence and where we're headed then you want to look at Revelation you want to look at Daniel you want to look at Ezekiel hmm. um, you know and, and, and some of Paul's uh, writings to Timothy and and so on. Uh, you know, there's snippets all through. Um, so I wouldn't say, you, you know, you don't necessarily need to start with Genesis and read right through because people who do that often get bogged down in Leviticus. And, <laughs> and, and you know, <laughs> Leviticus is, is kind of, can be cumbersome, but, you know, properly understood, Leviticus can be one of the most exciting books as well. We, we should talk about it in one of these podcasts. It's really a great book and so misunderstood. But anyway, that's... And what about so numbers? Where question, does numbers land in this? Well, numbers is basically a census of the people. It begins by taking a census and it ends with taking a census. And in between is basically wasted time. <laughs> not for the reader, mind you, not for the reader, but for Israel, because they just, you know, they, they, were, they prepared militarily for, um, for conquest and, and spiritually. And they didn't realize that the, that the latter was more important than the former. And they were depending more on the former than the latter. And so it took the entire book to, under, to help them understand that they've gotten it the wrong way round. So it, it's a great book to understand, but poor Israel has been wandering uh, around the wilderness and, and it's kind of wasted time for them. But, um, but a lesson that had to be learned, and for those of us who read the book, we can appreciate that lesson without having 
to wander in the desert for 40 years. So we've talked about Old Testament, New Testament, but I've heard mention by you this intertestament period, intertestamental period. What What is that? The intertestamental period is essentially that, that period, it's about oh, 400 years or so, um, between the close of the the Old Testament witness and the beginning of uh, of the New Testament witness. And um, it basically, it's a period of silence. The Old Testament basically goes through a series of periods, if, if I may call them that. Um, there's the period of creation, and then the period of the patriarchs. And then we move from the patriarchal history into the period of bondage, and then the deliverance from bondage, the exodus into a period of wandering in the wilderness, and then from wandering in the wilderness to the conquest of the land, and then the setup of judges. And then Israel moves from a, a, a governance of judges to a governance of kings. And you have, of course, the, the, the three kings of the United Kingdom, um, you've got Saul and you've got David and you've got Solomon and then the, the kingdom is fractured into north and south and, um, and, and you, have, you have a series of uh, 1920 uh, kings who reign during that period of the divided monarchy and then we move um, into the, the, uh, the, the exile and from the exile um, there is the return on, and, and it comes in three waves. You've got the return of Zerubbabel, the, the return with Ezra, and the, the return with Nehemiah. And then after that, after that, that, that story is essentially told, the kingdom uh, you know, is realized again in a sense. You have this period of silence followed by the birth of Christ in Matthew. So the question is, what is the, this, the sense of that, that, that period of silence? Um, and, and scholars, you know, have, have debated that for uh, quite a while, you know. But essentially there was a period when, when um, Israel was, was essentially finding its identity, um, falling away again. Uh, the Roman conquest um, occupied the, the minds of the people. Because you have in the kingdom of God concept. The kingdom of God is realized in, in Eden. And it's not realized again, really, because, you know, it's eclipsed by the Egyptian bondage. It's not, it's not realized again until the period of the conquest. And, and then it's eclipsed again during the period of Babylonian exile. And then it's realized once more when Cyrus allows the people to return. And then it's eclipsed again with the occupation of Rome and then recognized again in, in, in Jesus Christ when he announces the kingdom of God has finally come. So um, I think those 400 years of silence kind of play into this um, scenario of, of kingdom realized, kingdom eclipsed, kingdom realized, kingdom eclipsed, kingdom realized, kingdom eclipsed, and then finally kingdom realized. So from creation to bondage in Egypt, from conquest, Babylonian bondage, uh, from Cyrus uh, to occupation in Rome, and then to Christ again. Hmm. So I think it kind of, uh, the whole uh, episodic uh, approach to the Old Testament really throws its, its weight right into the New Testament with the coming of Jesus and the kingdom of God once more realized. Hmm. Well, as we wrap up, when we look at the mission of the word is out, to reach the world with the scripture. 
why is it critically important to bring the local pastors up to speed through the inductive Bible study approach? Let, let me say, first of all, that biblical scholarship uh, has often approached uh, the Bible with, a, with a, a means to dissect the text. I think in one of our last broadcasts, uh, Dr. Bauer had, had mentioned that um, that has generally been um, the, the popular approach in biblical studies, and those who are studying to be pastors and so forth are exposed to that. One of the greatest Old Testament scholars of the past um, generation was a gentleman by the name of Brevard Childs, uh, professor of Old Testament at Yale University in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, Childs cut a new path, and, and, and the path that he cut was called canonical criticism. Now, we need to understand the word criticism not in terms of being critical of a text. Criticism in biblical circles really means that we we critique, we do what we can to fully comprehend what is, what is being said or what is being done. Um, his approach was a canonical criticism and, and he was the one that blazed a trail that said that, you know, dissecting the text will only get us so far. What we need to do is see overarching themes and doctrines that emerge from an understanding of the entire canon, so that our understanding of the Bible is a balanced one, that we're not zeroing in on just one little verse or one little passage uh, to the exclusion of all others. So to answer your question, what I would say is that the, the IBS approach, our, our methodology throughout the world in teaching uh, IBS courses in Asia, Africa, Europe, and, and America, is basically to, to help people move from the big picture to the small picture, rather than from the small picture to the big picture. And invariably, the vast, vast majority of people now, pastors and teachers and, and many, many scholars, unfortunately, focus on the little picture and, and miss the big picture. In other words, they don't see the forest for the trees. Our approach is to begin with the big picture and work down. And therefore, everything that we see is always related to the big picture. And the biggest picture of all is the canon. And that is ultimately and finally our, uh, our goal. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Alan Meenan, for another terrific discussion. Uh, you've been listening to The Word is Out a podcast on a mission featuring Dr. Alan Meenan. If you'd like to know more about The Word is Out, visit us online at www.thewordisout.com. You can also keep up to date through our Facebook page. We'll be back with another podcast soon. <laughs>